Well, I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. Uh, for those of you who have been regularly worshipping with us, it's not the first time that uh, we're, we're reading it. Actually, it's the fourth, and I'm hoping to do it once more after this. I realize that it is a bit of repeat, but it's such a full and rich uh, prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, certainly, if we're only going to read this once a week, or, uh, and not even uh, every time again, we're reminded uh, not only of the truth that is in there, but each time we read it again, we can see how it all just melds, welds together, and, and it's just a, a one united prayer, and certain themes come back again and again. Uh, one of those things which uh, is coming back now, which already had and received to a point um, read earlier, but this time we're really going to focus on Christ's prayer for unity. We're going to read together from John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, 
that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So if I the reading from God's Word, uh, let's sing together from hymn 52, The Church's One Foundation, hymn 52, verse 1, 2, and 3. part of Christ's high priestly prayer, as John 17 is known, the part that I uh, wish to focus on this morning is John 17, verse 20 through to 23. Uh, John 17 can be divided into three parts. First, John, the Lord Jesus prays concerning himself and his glory. Secondly, he prays for his disciples and that they might be sanctified. And then he prays for his church and that we may uh, be unified and so we're going to read here about his prayer for his church, the first part of that, verse 20 to 23. Where our Lord Jesus Christ prays, I do not ask for these only, that is his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, 
so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you loved me. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, it may seem somewhat ironical, but discussions around church unity have more often than not, it seems, led to disunity, less harmony than a genuine coming together. Somewhat ironical that the desire to unite has often led to a divide. But why is that? What makes it so hard for people to get along? What makes it so hard for churches to get along? What's up with the world and what's up with us so that Christ's prayer for the unity of His church seems so hard, sometimes even impossible, on this side of eternity? Well, it's not for lack of trying. Both the church and the world, the desire to gather together, to unite, to be in harmony, to be one, it's, it's a really strong desire. This is something which, which we work at, we want to do. But what is unity anyway? What does it really look like? And why does it matter? Well, as we return to John chapter 17 this morning, we'll see that it's not just us, and it's not just the world, it's not just the church that's looking for unity. But this is the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. But in this prayer for unity, the Lord Jesus also teaches how this unity will be achieved. John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. I do not ask for these disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may know that you have sent me. And verse 23, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and love them even as you love me. And so, therein is the answer to the disunity that we see both in the world and in the church. And the answer to our disunity is Jesus Christ Himself. Perfect unity is to be found in Christ. And that perfect unity then will also proclaim Jesus Christ. And so turning to John chapter 17 with a focus on verse 20 to 23. I preach God's word to you under this theme. The answer to Christ's prayer for our unity is Christ Himself. The answer to Christ's prayer for our unity is Christ Himself. Two points. First, the perfect unity that is found in Christ. And second, the perfect unity that proclaims Christ. Well, we sang together from uh, hymn 52 of our book of praise, The Church's One Foundation. We, we sang verse 3. We didn't get to verse 4. But as we sang, particularly verse 3, you see here that, that it actually gives a very sobering perspective on the church here on earth today. 
speaks of with a scornful wonder men see her, to see the church so oppressed. That's, that's real heavy sort of language. By schisms rent asunder, split up into all different little groups and denominations and so forth. And by heresies distressed. Verse 4, mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Well, if you look at that and if you listen to that, we sing this together, we realize that, well, this is a rather sobering perspective of church. But we all know that this is true. For all the desire to be united and to be one, it seems that the church seems less united and more fragmented than ever before. Even when it comes to reform, the Presbyterian churches in this world, we're running out of names. We're running out of letters in the alphabet to try to keep all these different churches separate. It's not as though we've forgotten Christ's prayer for the unity, but it seems as we just can't seem to get it to happen. But why is that? What's wrong? And what can we do about it? Well, when it comes to church unity, and, and, and particularly also formalized church unity, John 17 verse 21 will almost invariably be referred to, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. It's for good reason that this text is referred to, because there is no clearer prayer for unity than the Lord's own request that we may be one. But you can't read a text outside of its context. And when we see this prayer for unity of our Lord Jesus Christ, we need to read this in the context of this prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, and indeed the rest of Scripture as well. And so what we see then, and what is realized then, is what is often underemphasized, is that although formal unity with one another is necessary, the unity that Jesus is praying for in John chapter 17 does not begin with formal unity where there is indeed the understanding of one church being a part or a sister church we call it with another church and another one and so forth and so we're one big happy family together it doesn't begin there it's a consequence but it's not where it starts rather as we read through what christ prays for in john chapter 17 we discover that this prayer for unity it begins here for you and me members of melville church it begins here in this church in this community. Unity starts with us, just as unity starts with every other local church of our Lord Jesus Christ for them. It's important that we get this right, because it's only when we are united in the things that should unite us here that we would be ready to seek out and to be united with others. If we don't get what it is to, to really join us together, then we don't know what it means to be joined to others. And so what does John 17 teach about that? Well, that's clear. Because Jesus, as you, as you, as you go through John chapter 17, you realize that in his prayer to, to God, he has these themes that come back again and again and again and again. You have the theme of glory, and another one you have is the theme of truth, and truth and unity together. Well, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, this is the first place to start. Because I mentioned before that this prayer is split up into three parts, so to speak. Uh, it's a very generalized way of thinking about it, but it speaks of 
Christ praying for himself, he prays for disciples, and he prays for the church. But Jesus doesn't use the word church here. He could have, but he doesn't. Instead, he, he speaks about those who are members of that community, and then he describes those members of the community in this way, those who believe in me through their word, through the word of the disciples. And so he's not praying for an organization, but he's praying for people. And he's praying for specific people who believe in him on account of the gospel that's going to be preached. What that means is that Christ is praying for the unity of those who are, in fact, already united. I want you to understand that. He's praying for the unity of those who are already united. United by faith in the gospel of truth. We're not making unity. We're expressing unity, but we're not making it. That's what God does in Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to our understanding of unity and what it means for us to be united, this is where we need to start. John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus had said, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is what Jesus had preached to his disciples. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And then Jesus also prayed in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The unity that Jesus is praying for is therefore the unity in the gospel. It's the unity in the truth. It's the gospel, it is the true gospel that unites us into one. And so, what that means then is that needs to be our focus. That needs to be our focus for us here in Melville Church. See, what's going to unite us together and what needs to bind us together? It has to be the truth of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Sure, we can get on together. Sure, we can love each other. Sure, we can have, have similar backgrounds and so forth. And some of us even come from the same families and so forth. But that doesn't unite us. The one thing that unites us together is a common faith in a common Savior. I'll get back to this, but this is so important for us to realize. Because this is what the Bible teaches us also. When you see, when you read throughout the rest of the New Testament of how Christ's prayer is fulfilled and how it's answered, we see how there are communities which are formed in and through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. Peter preaches along with others. And people there, they're hearing the gospel. They're hearing about Jesus. They cut to the heart and say, men and brethren, what must we do? Peter responds to them and says, repent and be baptized. And so they do repent. They are baptized. And it says that they are brought into community with one another. The Lord is adding daily to them the number of those who are being saved. And then what does it say about them? Well, this is how they demonstrated 
their unity. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. So what does that teach us? It teaches us that as community is formed and as they are united together, they will be getting together, they will be congregating together, they will be worshipping together, and they will be devoting themselves to the teaching and the preaching of the gospel because it is that gospel which is uniting them together. And the rest of the New Testament says the same. I could go to Thessalonians, but I go to Ephesians chapter 2, 19 to 21. The Apostle Paul, who writes concerning the church of Ephesus, and I quote, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. All right? That's how they were before. They came from all over. You're no longer strangers and aliens. And you're certainly no longer strangers and aliens to God. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. All right? That's unity. That's oneness. That's belonging together. You are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. This is what Jesus was praying for, and this is what's happening in Ephesus. And then what's it say in verse 20? In verse 20 in one, what basis are these fellow citizens? On what basis do they have that unity? Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You see, this is it. This is the point. This is what Paul is teaching again here. And, and we can have this in other parts of Scripture also. That what is uniting them and bringing them together into being one community when before they were aliens and strangers and they were not a people is that they are built together on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the foundation of the truth of God's word, and then on the foundation specifically then of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. The church is one. They're united as members of the one household built on the foundation of apostolic teaching. And you see now, this is why the, 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 the message or the theme of my sermon is this. The answer to Christ's prayer for unity is Christ himself. Because Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. This is not some sort of a trite, pat sort of an answer. This has to be the answer for unity. Because if Jesus isn't that central uh, reason for our unity, and if we don't find our unity in him, our unity is not the unity that Jesus is praying for in John chapter 17. That's where so many attempts at unity seem to have been forgotten. So many attempts at unity have, have often been in the sense of saying, well, we, we just want to have some sort of organizational unity. And we want to get together in that way. And that's, that's, the, that's the big thing. And so what we're going to do to get that unity that we want is that we're actually going to minimize the truth. We're going to, in that sense, if I use my own language now, not theirs, we're going to go down to the lowest common denominator and to say, on that basis, we're going to have our unity. Really, this is what the, the so-called ecumenical movement has really been all about. Where the, the, the mantra has been that doctrine divides, that, that service unites, and therefore we need to get together. And, and, and groups such as the World Council of Churches will do this. Anybody who says, yes, I'll put my finger up and put my hand up and say that, that we're, we're a church or we're, we're some sort of a Christian organization loosely based in the Bible, that you're welcome to be joined with them. But it's not a unity which is founded on the gospel in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
You see, that's the problem. See, we need to understand that it's not doctrine that divides. Oh, yes, we can become very nitpicky with our doctrines and so forth. And we can, through arguments over uh, words and phrases and so forth, the Apostle Paul speaks of this. He says, be careful about such people who want to talk about genealogies and all sorts of things. And so be broken and split up and splintered and divided amongst those things. That's true. We can use doctrine. We can use those things to argue away, to build up walls around each other. But true doctrine, true teaching, which has to do with who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is and what it means that the Jesus Christ is the church's one foundation, this is not what divides, but this is what unites. We are divided when we are separated from our union with Christ. And see, this is the question which we have then. Also when it comes to our unity here in Melville Church, and also comes to our unity with other Christians. With whom do you have union? With whom are you united? Are you truly one in the gospel, or are you not? And this is something which the, the Reformation, the time of the Reformation picked up and, 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 and answered so clearly and so succinctly. The Reformation was a time in which you had, of course, and you still have today, the, the Roman Catholic Church, who insisted that they and they alone were the church and the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their proof for that was, they said, is that their head of their church was the Bishop of Rome, who was the Pope. And you can link back those popes of Rome. Okay, you, you need to have a little bit of uh, uh, charity if you do this because they've had some issues. But you can link this pope back to Rome. They insisted all the way back to Peter. And therefore, he holds the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, he's the one who's the head of the church. And therefore, we need to be joined to him and to all the clergy of the Roman Catholic Church. And then we are the church. Not so, said the reformers. Because our unity is not based on man or on this organization that you call the Roman Catholic Church. And why not? Because they had denied the truth of the gospel. They had denied the truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. They denied the truth that we are to hold on to the scriptures alone. And because they had denied these things, they were no longer really church. This was not a unity in the true faith. And so how then did the reformers explain unity and how it should be? Well, Article 27 of our Belgian Confession, it starts like this. We believe and profess one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation assembly of true Christian believers. Remember what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17, verse 20? Those who believe on me because of their word. So the church is the holy congregation assembly of true Christian believers, and I keep reading then, who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, are washed by His blood, and are sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, I could say more, and I could, I could flesh this out and so forth. But what I want you to understand here and now is that this must then be the basis of your unity. When you meet with your brothers and sisters here in Melville Church, this is what unites us together, that together 
We are believers who expect our entire salvation in Jesus Christ, that we are washed in His blood, we're sanctified, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And this then is also our unity with other believers, with other Christians throughout this world. And if this is not the basis of your unity, then you are not in accordance and living in accordance with the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17. You see, you cannot sacrifice the truth. You cannot set aside the gospel for the sake of unity. Because the unity that Christ is praying for is a unity in the truth and a unity concerning the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in brief, it's not to say, of course, that we will end up in having to agree with everything if we are to enjoy the unity Christ prays for. This has been a challenging thing uh, for the church and for Christians to wrestle with. Where, where, where are the lines? John Calvin also, in his own institutes, he writes very, very well about these things also. We recognize that on this side of eternity, we do not see all things clearly. There's always going to be blind spots in our understanding of God's Word. And church, we need to be humble about this. This is also why we do need others, so that we might be taught by others, so that also our blind spots might be shown by others, and so that we can also reflect on our own teachings and our own understandings, and so that we can be grounded even more in the truth. But this is what our unity with others is meant to do. Our union with other believers who, like us, are committed to an unwavering faith in Christ and to the teachings of the prophets and apostles, our unity with them, it is so that we might grow together in Christ and in the truth of the gospel and so that our union with Him might deepen. And so what this also teaches us is that unity does not start with organizations. But our organization is also being organized into Melville Church. These organizations come out of the unity that is founded on our union with God in Jesus Christ. And go back to John chapter 17. Our Lord Jesus Christ also prayed about this. He described the kind of unity that, that he was speaking of. Verse 21. That they may be all be one... Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The first, second part of verse 22. That they may be one, even as we are one. And verse 23. I in them, and you in me. And so what Jesus is praying for when it comes to this unity, this unity in the gospel that we may have, means that as we are joined together in the one true Christian faith, as has been revealed to us in God's Word, as it is given to us in every single page of Scripture, as we hold to the entirety of God's Word, and as we seek to hold to that together, then the unity that we have becomes a unity that is, can be described like the unity between the Father and and the Son.
our unity together is to be of the same character as the unity between God the Father and God the Son. And so this is not just a unity in what we do, but it's first of all a unity in our very being. But more our unity together is the result of the unity between the Father and the Son. And that's also very clear if you read this in context, in the context of John 17 and the context of the gospel according to John. Because the Father and the Son are one. And Jesus has focused on this and he's reflected on this earlier in his prayer. And it was the Father who gave the elect, that is us, to his Son. And it was the Son who glorified his Father by accomplishing the work that the Father had given him to do. And it was now the Son who's about to return to the Father so that he might receive the glory of the Father that the Son had had before the creation of the world. And now Jesus also prays, John chapter 17, verse 11. He says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, then, keep them in your name which you've given me, that they may be one even as we are one. And what Jesus is saying here is that the way for us to be one, just as the Father and Son are one, is by the Father keeping us in his name. That's going back to the true thing, gospel matter. It's when we are united to the Father through the work of the Son, and yes, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's how we are going to be one with each other. What Jesus is praying for, therefore, is the unity that is ours in Christ himself. The answer to Christ's prayer for unity is Christ himself. And so when it comes to our unity, also here at Melville Church, then, what we need to understand is that although there are many ways we, which we need to consider, how can we better express this unity in a way that we might reach out and to also to encourage all people to feel that and to, to experience that unity within Melville Church. And there's something we can do better at. But we need to understand that the basis of our unity, the reason for our unity, is our unity in Jesus Christ. A unity that is possible because He came to do the Father's will and so that He might then bring us into Him and we might be one with Him as the Son is one with the Father. And this then should influence the way that we're going to express this unity and we're going to experience this unity. Yes, we need to be careful. We don't see church. We don't see everything in the first place in terms of organizations. We should not think of our unity with other Christians as limited uh, to simply us here at Melville Church, that this is it, that there's no church beyond us. We don't even just see that our unity with other Christians ends up at the, uh, the walls of, of our Churches here in Australia are sister churches or even our sister churches in the rest of the world. I don't mean to dismiss that. There's a need. There's a blessing in formal relationships. And, and as, as a pastor and, and my involvement in our denomination, I spend many hours every year on these things. And with great blessing. Such, such relationships are great benefit. These are a visible manifestation of the unity that John 17 speaks about. But where we begin... Where we begin is our union with Christ. That's what it means also for us here in Melville Church as well. The reason why we do come together, the reason why we do build one another up, the reason why we are concerned for one another, the reason why we do seek to be a hand and foot to be one another and so forth is because we recognize that we are fellow members of the body of Christ. 
It also means that all real unity can only be a unity in the gospel of salvation in Christ. Because someone says that they're a Christian does not make you one with them. What makes you one with them, however, is whether you both know and confess the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. What makes you one is a mutual embracing of the truth of God's word and that you're both committed to that truth. I do wish to just press on now on my second point. That is the perfect unity that proclaims Christ. That proclaims Christ. So while Christian unity should, in theory, be the most natural thing in the world and easy to establish and maintain, in practice it's not. At times, the expression of a unity seems fraught with danger. Our differences over how to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, it can and it does, it leads to its own conflict and to its own disunity. And yet the Lord prays for unity. And through this prayer, the Lord highlights the importance of this unity. And so, as I mentioned, we need to remember where this unity all starts. It starts with our union with Christ. That's what enables us to have union with one another. But then Jesus also prays something else. It's, it's quite challenging. Verse 22. John 17, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So what does that mean? What is that glory that the Father first gave to the Son and the Son then gave to us so that we might be one, even as the Father and Son are one? This is not easy to understand, but it's probably best to understand the glory that the Father gave the Son. It refers to the manifestation of His name. The Father gave His name to the Son so that the, Father, so that the Son might declare Father, the Father to us. And that's what John, the Gospel according to John declares very strongly. And so Jesus, of course, he shared in the glory of the Father before the creation of the world. But what the Father had done in sending his Son to the earth is that he had sent his Son to reveal this glory. Jesus actually also began his prayer in this way, verse 1 and 2. He says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now what Jesus is doing is he has received that work and that work that the Father given to him to do. He's now giving that work to his disciples so that God's name might be made known, not just to the disciples, but to the world. And so when Jesus speaks about giving his glory, he's speaking about giving the mission which he had received from the Father to the disciples and then also to the church. In this way, we are to manifest or make known God's name to the world. In this way, the church shares in the ministry of Christ and therefore also the glory of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 23 says that we've been taken up into Christ who is the fullness of him who fills all in all. And now as the Father has sent the Son into the world, so the Son is sending us into the world. And this is why the consequence of our unity is that the world will know Christ. Because our unity, when we are one in Jesus, when we have a unity that is grounded, that's founded in the truth that is in Jesus himself, 
when it's the gospel, the full gospel of salvation, the revelation of God in Christ Jesus, that this is what is uniting us to one another. Then when we unite in this way, what we are doing then is that we are living as the community of faith, the community of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are then a gospel community. And being the gospel community in a world that needs the gospel, we are declaring the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We're declaring how we who once were not a people are now made the people of God. And then, we'll, and then this is the way, the way that we will indeed also call others to join us and to be one people. Because then we will seek one another and then we'll find one another. This is the way in which God calls us then to live and to work as His community. And then Christ does pray for our unity. And He does pray that we might be one. So that we may indeed in this way also bear witness to the truth. And to proclaim His name into the world since that is the task that is given the church to do. And the best way for us to do that indeed is if we are united together. It is not just us as individuals, but collectively also, as we meet together other Christians, that we will not only be built up in the truth, but we'll be in the position to declare that truth to others. And then as churches, we will also have reason to connect with other churches. And this is also why we establish relationships with them. This is also why we formalize those relationships with them. So in this way, that which we cannot do on our own, we will do together to see to it that God's name is manifest, it is made clear, and it is proclaimed throughout this world. In this way, our unity will be seen. In this way, our unity will bear fruit. But remember that for Melville Church, it doesn't start out there with the big organizations and all sorts of things. For Melville Church, this unity, it starts right here in the household of faith in this place. It starts in the shared conviction that we are and must be a holy congregation. The assembly of true Christian believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, washed in His blood, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Or to use another of the Belgian Confessions, Article 28. It means that since, and I quote now, we need a conviction that since this holy assembly congregation is the assembly of the redeemed and there's no salvation out of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it. But all and everyone is obliged to join and unite with it, maintaining the unity of the church. And what must we do in church? The same as the early church in Acts chapter 2. To quote also from Article 28, They must submit themselves to its instruction and discipline, bend their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters, according to the talents which God has given them as members of the same body. You see, this is where it all starts. Uh, we can get excited sometimes about the need to unite with others and, and meet with others and, and, and think this is such a great thing. We can do that here in Australia, other parts of the world. It's good to be excited about this. We can be very encouraged. And certainly now we have members and we have different people here, different Christians from other churches joining us for worship today. And it's an encouragement to all of us that you are here. And we pray that it may be encouragement for you also that you are here with us. But it's not where it starts for us. Where it starts for us here in Melbourne churches with our own brothers and sisters. Where it starts for us here in Melbourne churches even where we all grow together, where we all submit ourselves to the gospel preaching, to the gospel teaching. And where we grow in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together. 
and where we rejoice in the truth of that gospel, where we embrace the gospel that's promises and we share that gospel with one another and speak about this, even as we look forward to calling others to join us here to hear that same gospel. Now, is that hard to do? Is it really so difficult? I began this sermon by acknowledging that discussions around church unity have more often than not, it seems, led to disunity and less harmony than a genuine coming together. And indeed, the desire to unite has often led to a divide. But why is that? Is it a failure of Christ? Is it a failure of the gospel? Well, the answer has to be no. These things happen. Disunity happens locally, and disunity happens also with others. When individually or collectively we take our eyes off the gospel, we take our eyes off Jesus Christ, and we begin to focus our priorities and our attention somewhere else. These things happen when we forget who we are and we forget why we are here. I don't mean to dismiss the challenges and the complexities of living together in community. Community here in Melbourne Church, sometimes it is hard. And we need to negotiate and work through things, and sometimes it's challenging. I don't mean to dismiss or negate the complexities of, of, of being together in a denomination or of, of, of being together with other churches and other Christians throughout the world. There are challenges, and it can be difficult, and there's different backgrounds and cultures and histories we need to remember. But when it comes to unity, the answer is clear. The answer to Christ's prayer for unity is Jesus Christ himself. And therefore, seek Him, proclaim Him. And then you too will learn to know what it means to be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. Amen.